Hi, my name is Diana King. I'll be reading today's scripture, which comes from Colossians 2, 6-7 and 16-19. to Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Amen. And now let's give our attention to the preaching of God's word. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Diana, for the reading of his word. We come to this, um, I would say, seminal passage. It's really the linchpin of the entire book. We sang it. We just read it in verses 6 and 7. Just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So let's, let's unpack, let's learn to walk in Christ Jesus. Uh, last week we studied Jesus Christ is at the center or holding all of the cosmos, all of creation, and the church together. And without him holding it all together, everything falls apart. So, therefore, we must walk in him. We must walk in him. You don't have to be fast, you don't have to be super skilled. Don't have to be strong, don't have to be extra spiritual or special, just a step-by-step, step-by-step, spiritually, metaphorically, in Christ Jesus. Annie Dillard, of course, she made this observation, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives How we spend our days is how we spend our lives. It's possible even for Christian people to start off very well, but to wander, get distracted, tempted, beaten down, just tired, maybe fallen, and you don't want to get back up, and you get lost. That happened to the Galatian church, and it also happened to the Colossian church. As an early church father Observed Tertullian by the name of Tertullian, quote, as Jesus Christ was crucified between two thieves, so the gospel is always crucified between two opposite errors. So today, two thieves that detract us from walking in him and one internal threat. Back in college, I cannot overstate how much the sermons of a Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones made an impact upon my soul to revive me from spiritual depression. But in all of his sermons, basically, he targets the mind, heart, and will, and then fills it with the riches and the implications of the gospel. The mind, the heart, and the will. We're going to do the same thing today because it's the three same battlefields, just in a little bit of a different order. Mind, heart, will, or two threats, uh, two thieves and one threat. The, the first thief, the first thief. Let me call it a legalistic mind. This is of the mind. 
especially when it comes to your spiritual Christian life, what thoughts do you carry? What beliefs do you live by? What thoughts are the most recurring and most dominant in your life? Well, at the Colossian church back then and as it is today, there are a lot of erroneous thoughts that will steal all the kinds of riches that Jesus wants to bring if you would learn to walk with him. I'll call it legalism, legalism. I'm, this is just my own summary. Legalism is about making and keeping more laws in order, in order to become more pleasing to God. Okay, that's a whole culture and system. Uh, legalism is about you got to make more laws, create more laws, come up with more laws, and then, of course, strive to keep them so that somehow you'd be closer to or become more pleasing to God. Do you know where this stems from? It stems from the first legalist. I would say it's Mother Eve when she was having a conversation with none other than Satan. <laughs> and she was quoting back what God had told her and her husband, Adam, you shall not eat. You shall not eat just from this one tree. But then she added a restriction. She added this little detail. And you shall not touch it. God never told her, you shall not touch it. He just said, don't dare eat from it. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 3. And so you might say, and you might understand that original sin is making laws that have the equal authority or same footing as God's own laws. The essence of sin is that all of us in this room want to make up our own laws. Either we want to add to the laws of God or certainly subtract from the laws of God. But autonomy is the essence of sin. And legalism here is rampant with sin. It's so viral, it's so deceptive, it's really systemic, it's historic. And it will not end on its own. So much so, Apostle Paul has to spend the entirety of the rest of this chapter. We read two verses, uh, verses 6 and 7, but he spends all the rest of the verses unpacking legalism. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. In other words, man-made laws. According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. With regard to food and drink and holy days and maybe how you should dress and maybe you shouldn't go dance and maybe you shouldn't. Put that in your mouth, and maybe you shouldn't listen to that kind of music, so on and so forth. And it really doesn't know any end. Apostle Paul deconstructs it here. He begins to deconstruct it here. Let me call this superstitions. What the Col Colossians, some of them fell into was superstitious thoughts, superstitious beliefs. And by superstition, this is what I mean. There are laws or codes that you obey and follow that you cannot find in the scriptures. Superstitions are simply laws that you make or follow that cannot be found in the Bible. Well, Paul goes on to deconstruct 
all the faults or some of the faults of legalism. Look at verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Sounds like what Paul is saying is legalism passes away. It doesn't last. It's not permanent. It becomes obsolete. When the substance, the real thing, comes in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Legalism doesn't last. It just doesn't hold. I mean, for example, there's a whole bunch of laws that you can find in the Bible. Did you know there's a lot of laws that you find in the Bible? It's just elaborate. It's all over the Old Testament. It's called the sacrificial system. Animal bloodletting, sacrifices, detailed, careful prescriptions of what the high priest can and cannot do. How you should make the tabernacle all the way down to its lengths and widths and how people should dress. The most holy place and holy place. Just all of it. All of it. You can find all those laws in the Bible. And do you know that all of those laws passed away? They're obsolete now. Why? Because of the arrival of the full substitutionary work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So if Bible laws, laws you can actually explicitly, concretely, clearly find in the Old Testament, some of those pass away, how much less with the laws that we make and try to keep in addition to the Bible? Look at verse 18. Verse 18, Apostle Paul goes on to write, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Puffed up, puffed up. In the Greek, English, that guy's just really arrogant. That woman is really prideful. They come across cocky and condescending and self-righteous. Paul says, legalism just puffs you up for no good reason. Verse 19, Paul continues to deconstruct. Verse 19, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Perhaps this is the most disturbing and troubling deconstruction of legalism. No matter how many laws you make and keep, Paul says they actually can disconnect you from Jesus. Oh, go figure. The more laws you make can actually prevent you from holding fast to the head from whom all nourishment and growth flows. Jesus gave enough laws. I assure you, Jesus gave plenty of laws that Christian people should honor, must obey, or else it will not go well with you. But if you are making up and doing a whole bunch of laws, quote unquote, in the name of Jesus, but it's not from Jesus. See, let me, say, let me say that again. You can say that you're doing this all for Jesus, but Jesus actually never told you to do those things. Then I would suggest to you, it can't be for Jesus. If it's not from Jesus, it's actually about you. Paul's deconstruction. All these laws pass away. Even some biblical laws pass away. It puffs you up with pride. Verse 19, and it actually disconnects you from Jesus. Last verse, verse 23. Verse 23. 
These, legalism, its system, its culture, its code, have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And if you ever read those old books by Dan Brown, it has a certain person kind of like cutting and making his own body bleed out of a religious purifying exercise to prove how spiritual he is. Paul is talking about the same kind of spirit here. There are people who appear and want to feel more spiritual than everybody else. They seem really serious. They're very disciplined. They want to come across as looking and appearing wise. Oh, but here is the indictment from Paul at the end. But all of that will not stop your sin. All of the legalism in the world, lawmaking and lawkeeping, will give you no power to actually put sin to death. Now, to be sure, my friends, everyone has a weakness here. I have a weakness. Everyone is addicted to a particular form or type of sin. Everyone. And with a particular addiction or weakness, the temptation will be that you and I need to add a whole bunch of other laws to the Bible because you are so addicted to this vice or this sin. Let me suggest something in the reverse. You don't really actually add to biblical laws, but if you paid most attention to the laws that are already there, what you and I need to do is not add to the laws of the Bible. We need care and wisdom and accountability for sure. You need a church. You need real Christian friends to apply the biblical laws into your life. Another example, the problem of lust. Oh, how pervasive and persistent that is today, lust. Do you know what the Bible recommends in its laws if you're trying to fight lust? I actually gave it away. It says, it never says fight it. Did you know that the Bible never says think about it? The Bible never says go ahead and just confront it head on. It actually says flee. Just run the other way. Make no provision for the lust of the flesh. You see, legalism, its code, its culture, actually won't give you any more power to stop sin. Apostle Paul says in verses 6 and 7, walk in him and you will abound in thanksgiving. Here comes along thief number one. Thief number one, which will detract you, tempt you away from walking in him. If you walk in legalism or if you walk with legalists, I assure you they're not abounding in thanksgiving. They're usually abounding in misery. Pretty miserable, miserable folks. Everything's unsure. Everything is critical. Everything is doubtful. Everything is, I'm not quite sure if that's right. No. How can you live a life abounding in thanksgiving when legalism enters into your thoughts, your belief system, and makes everything in question? You see, only the gospel of Jesus Christ delivers everything that legalism promises but fails to do. All of it, the rest of this chapter in verse 10, all of it is because it's in him, in Jesus. In Christ Jesus, you're filled with his authority verse 10 verse 11 in Jesus you are spiritually circumcised you see set apart 
pure. In verse 12, in Jesus you have died and been buried to sin, but now raised, raised to new life. Verse 13, forgiven of all your debts in him. And also verse 15, in him, certainty of triumph and victory over Satan and death. All because of him. All in Jesus. It's a matter of walking in him and applying everything about him through his laws. John Calvin, at a remarkable young age, wrote in just a masterpiece called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. Here was his commentary on being free, your Christian liberty, your Christian freedom. It is a thing of prime necessity, and apart from a knowledge of it, consciences dare undertake almost nothing without doubting. Unless this freedom be comprehended, neither Christ nor gospel truth nor inner peace of soul can be rightly known. Walk in him. Are you walking in him? Thief number one, legalism. Legalism. Thief number two, much more quickly now. A licentious lifestyle. The licentious will. Whereas legalists add to the list of things you must do to become more pleasing to God, the licentious say, nobody tells me what to do. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to give me outside laws, enforcements, or guilt, or shame, or pressure. I get to live the way I want to live. Now, you see, of course, Paul anticipates all of this. There are two opposite thieves here where Jesus Christ was crucified in between. And this opposite thief over here is the one that just says, just be licentious. Paul warns against it. Chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. In this next chapter. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore. See, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Anyone who fakes it, anyone who doesn't ever really fall in love, will say, I can live as I please. But anybody else who really falls in love will always say, I want to do as you please. Thief number two is the lie of licentiousness. Oh, Jesus loves me unconditionally, this I know. Jesus loves me irreversibly, this I know. I was raised in the church, I know it. Therefore, in my life, I will do what I want and do as I please. No, but if you're walking in him and the love of Jesus Christ is impacting you and the love of Jesus Christ, which is holy and changes you like no other love in the world. The love of Jesus Christ changes you. It will not let you stay as you are. Come as you are, but you will not remain as you are. Come as you are, but you will not stay as you are. Be loved as you are, but he will love you to become something and someone so much more beautiful. Oh, anyone who falls in love, anyone who walks in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's never 
I can do whatever I want. I want to do whatever he wants. Thief number one, legalism. Thief number two, a licentious will and lifestyle. Third last one. It's an internal threat. I'll call it a loveless heart. A loveless heart. A heart that's gone hard. It's become cold. A cold heart. So much so, you don't feel much at all. A loveless heart. You know, in that first movie, The Matrix, Neil, the one, Keanu Reeves, has a jack in the back of his brain and they can download a program or information or code into the back of his brain. And then there's that one epic scene where he just says, I know Kung Fu. It's amazing. It's just overnight. He goes, I know Kung Fu. And I know a lot of you in this room think about Christian life. It's just the same thing. Download theology. Hear a good sermon. Listen to podcasts. Read the Bible. Get the correct theology. Quote everything right. And you just think you can download in the mind without training or tuning anything else. And overnight, just like he says, I know Kung Fu. You say, I know Christian life. And then one day you turn around a thousand times over. You're like, man, how come I'm not changing and really living the Christian life? I remember years ago attending our uh, girls football practice. I don't know what I was there. Maybe I was trying to get some exercise in. I was not in shape. Not had been exercising then. And there was a gal. And I don't know. I felt confident enough to challenge her to a race. A race. Let's race. Maybe I'm sexist. Maybe I'm an ageist and a sizist. She was half my size, half my age. It's like, dude, I got this. So we lined up, started to run, and I was shocked. Man, she's fast. She actually had a step on me, and then I just made that extra strain and lunge, and for the first time in my life, I collapsed in pain because I pulled my hamstring and I just collapsed in self-humiliation in front of all the girls of our church. I remember no one came and helped me, by the way. <laughs> and the point of all of us in this room is this. If you think you can just download information and have good theology, but have never trained your heart and your will to do kung fu, to run a race, or good luck play basketball later this afternoon... I hope the doctors go. Please, doctors go. I'll pray for you too. You're joking. You know, Mike Cosper wrote, I think, a pretty impactful book recently. And he says, you know, in the past, in church history, the greatest threats to Christian faith was persecution and martyrdom. Visible, outright, oppressive, authoritarian, military, just threats. But what would be the greatest threat today now for us here in Southern California if you are a believer and follow Jesus Christ? It's not persecution. It's not martyrdom. Yes, there's a lot of apologies and shame heaped upon evangelical Christians, to be sure. But what would be the greatest threat now? Mike Cosper calls it disenchantment. The loss of wonder and awe. The boredom and the cynicism that's taken over. 
what ought to be fervent, bold, committed hearts that burn with love have become cold and hard. Are you even aware of that? Do you guard against that? Do you guard your hearts that it would not become loveless? It's so easy for this to happen, myself included. Life just gets busy. Life gets crazy, doesn't it? It gets hard. You're working at breakneck pace all the way for your work or to provide for your family. Then you get frustrated and exhausted sometimes. There's hurts along the way. Then there are just completely unwelcome sicknesses, illnesses, accidents, disappointments at work or in your family. Maybe there is even the losses of loved ones that come your way that you are still grieving this day. And frankly, when that happens, all along when you get just so busy and crazy and exhausted just doing life, just doing life, Honestly, on a daily basis, gone are any moments where you have intentional, private, intimate moments or time of walking with Jesus Christ in a conscious way. Instead, when you're trying to relax in those off moments, in comes with all the media absorption today, another different gospel, just always a different gospel. You see these ads and you read them and you long for, hey, why do you look more like this? Do you feel as happy and as whole as this? Are you making and earning more money like this? How come more people don't know you and follow you like him or her? Is your marriage as romantic as this couple's? Are your kids as adjusted and well-behaved as this family? Is your career going in the right trajectory according to your schedule? And do you, when you can vacation and escape, do you have the luxuries that we want to sell you right here, right now? And then, of course, when you're so beaten down and wiped out, you actually start to believe deep down in your heart, huh, I'm really missing out. Something must be wrong. I've got to change. Oh, my friends, you know what Apostle Paul is telling you and I this morning? To walk in him, to walk in him. Here's what it means. Despite all your outward appearances, despite all the things that we say, despite even the things that we may do on a Sunday, in your heart of hearts, my friend, right down here, all the way here, what's your spiritual temperature? Is there anything stirring or burning there at all? And here's the threat, and it might be the most pervasive, sinister threat we have today at this church and every church I know. If you've lost that loving feeling, if you've lost that first and forever loving feeling that Jesus should have, that Jesus should occupy, if you lost that, you will find another If your heart has gone stone cold in your love for Jesus, you will give all your love for another. And you cannot and will not go on that way.
Here's what Jesus warned in one of his parables, in one of his stories, in Mark chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. He's talking about the word of God when he's being preached or taught. They're sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. Oh, my friends, just the daily, everyday cares, riches and security and comforts, just the busyness and exhaustion of life, it's called Welcome to America, will choke off the word instead of the word and the life of God growing and abounding and thanksgiving in us. So how do we recover? Two threats. One internal threat. How in the world do we recover? Paul says it simply. Just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. There it is. Just as you received, first, you have to remember. You're going to have to recall. Do you remember what it was like when you first came to Jesus Christ? Do you remember your first come to Jesus moment? If you haven't, I welcome you today. Jesus asks you, you come weary and heavy laden. You come just as you are. I'll love you just as you are, but I'll forgive and lead you now all your days and never leave you just as you are. You can come today, first day, first moment today. But if you have come to Jesus, do you remember what the first day was like? I remember mine. I did not come to Jesus because I had a, a good CV. I felt or looked good to myself. You don't come to Jesus because you have the right connections and your career is going really well. Did you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you made a really good choice today. I congratulate you. I applaud that you chose me. Now, I remember how I came to Jesus. I came to Jesus because I was saying, Harold, there is nothing or nobody in the world that's going to change you. That's going to save you. That's going to forgive and cleanse you from sin. That's going to set you free to live a whole new life inside out. I came to Jesus weeping. I came to Jesus broken. I came to Jesus because I had no better options. I have no other options. He's my last option, but he'll still take me in. I remember when I first come to Jesus and thousand times thereafter, I came to Jesus on my knees. Hopeless. Barely looking up. But as I look up and call upon the name of Jesus, he runs and lavishes upon me such saving grace and love. Here is what Paul is telling you and I to do, to walk in him. Remember, remember what that's like and repeat. Remember just as you received Christ Jesus the first day, repeat all of your days. So walk in the same spirit with which you first received Christ Jesus the Lord. God has the very, very best sense of humor. 
you and I will never outgrow or get past the first day you received Christ Jesus the Lord. It is reported of Bruce Lee. The quote is so good, I didn't verify if it's true. I don't care, but I'm just going to use the quote. He said he's not afraid of anyone who practices 10,000 kicks. But he's afraid of the person who practices one kick 10,000 times. 10,000 times. My friends, you have to take 10,000 steps. You should take 10,000 steps. Walk with him, walk in him every day. And watch your life transform, abounding in thanksgiving. You will be rooted, you will be strengthened, you'll be established in the faith. You won't be deceived by legalism. You won't fall away into licentiousness. Oh, and most of all, your heart won't grow cold. Remember and repeat. Remember and repeat. Nothing worthier, nothing more transformative, and nothing more rewarding than you and I learning to walk in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word this day. We thank you for the richness, the power, the wisdom. But I pray, O oh Lord, most of all, Holy Spirit, take us back to the first day. Bring us back to the first day so that just as we received you, Christ Jesus as Lord, we may continue to walk in you. And I pray for anyone here or listening in, would you bring anyone in need of your forgiveness your love, and your life. Bring them to yourself, O oh Lord, to pray, to accept you as God and Savior, to join a church, and to follow you all their days. O oh Lord, hear us, we pray. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.